Tonight is Wednesday, August 28th. And I'm going to just jump right in it. I've been waiting quite a few years to uh, teach this teaching. So I, I just want to jump right in it. It's got a, an odd title, but uh, I think you guys will be blessed with it. Um, let's just go to Luke chapter 22. We're going to start in verse 35. This is the only message I've ever preached that's got a disclaimer. Amen. Luke chapter two, uh, 22, starting in verse 35. This is Jesus is finishing up what we just participated in. They just finished the Lord's Supper. They just finished having communion together. And uh, Jesus says, Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. My message tonight is, got swords? <laughs> now my disclaimer is, the first thing that you may think is that I'm going to touch on whether Christians should defend themselves, whether they should carry around weapons, and that's not where I'm going with it tonight. It's not where I'm going with it tonight. This is, like I said, I had got this message uh, a few years back, and it's going to take me a little bit. We're going to look at the full picture real quick, so we're going to go through a few little scriptures, and then we're going to jump right into it, okay? But give me a little time to lay out what's going on there and what Jesus' experience, and it's going to, is just basically going to open up those scriptures, that scripture Amen. right up. Amen? Amen. So we're going to go back into Luke chapter 22. And there we go. Got swords. Wow. That's a sword. Good. I get a little demonstration tonight. Uh, chapter 22, let's pick back up in 47 and 51. Because we know they go into the garden and Jesus is uh, he's going through a battle. He's fighting the fight of faith. We all know that Jesus got the victory in the garden, and so he separates himself from his disciples, and he begins to pray, he begins to cry out to God, and he begins to wrestle between his will and God's will. And so after that prayer, he comes back to his disciples, and it picks up in uh, verse 47. He says, while he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Now I wonder where they got those swords from. 
It says, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. We know we're going to go and we're going to look at a couple of the other gospels that have the same account. And uh, let's find out who had the sword. And John chapter 18, same account. I love the way that the gospels, each one says a different thing, but it brings clarity when you can put them all together. I've heard teachings before about uh, Peter taking the sword from a centurion and cutting it off, but he had the sword because Jesus said to bring them. In verse 10 it said, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Okay, he tells him to bring a sword. And when Peter, um, I just love Peter because, look, there's only two swords. And we know Peter got one. I don't know who had the other one. The scriptures don't tell us, but it's Peter is that type of man where if somebody's going to have a sword and they only got two, he's got to have one. And he sees what's going on, right? And he's already declared to the Lord that he would go to death if he had to. And so he sees what's going on and he draws his sword and he takes an ear off. And Jesus said, Peter, put your sword back up. So we got one more. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to start in verse 50, and we're going to go through 54. It says, Jesus replied, Friend, do, you, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? They say it must happen in this way. Jesus is saying, how will the scriptures be fulfilled if we fight with the sword? What scripture is Jesus talking about? In the first, in, um, in the first scripture that we read back in Luke 22, he alluded to it. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. And we're going to start in 12. Actually, we're going to just read 12. Because this is the scripture that Jesus is talking about. And we're going to find out, we're going to solve for once and for all what they were doing with swords and why Jesus commanded them to have swords in the first place. It says, um, Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The first scripture we read that Jesus said, for it must be fulfilled, I must be numbered with the transgressors. And so every 
person, every commentator jumps on that and says, well, you see, they had sores. That made them transgressors. But the whole thing was to take a bag, to take a purse, and to take a sword. It was not illegal to have a sword. It was not illegal to have a purse nor a bag. Jesus was alluding to this scripture. And he is talking about the end when Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. He had a thief on his right side and he had a thief on his left side and he died with the sentence of a sinner. He was numbered with the transgressors. That was the end result. But the one we want to focus on tonight is he poured out his life unto death. He, he had to fulfill this scripture that he poured out his life. When Peter drew the sword, he said, Peter, put your sword up. Do you not understand I must drink this cup? Because I could call down 72,000 angels right now and deliver me. He says, but you put your sword up. The sword is there. Every time we are called to do the will of God, Jesus says, I'm going to put a sword in your midst. It's an easy out. It's an easy way for you not to do the will of God. He said, those swords are there, and if we pull those swords, we will die by those swords. He had to pour his own life out. He had to give it as an offering. But he also made sure that he did it. And while he's praying, I know those swords crossed his mind. We could fight. I don't know how many guards are coming, but we, gotta, we could fight. We got two swords, and Peter's, well, Peter's not too good with it. He just took an ear off. But those swords are there. And those swords, every time God calls you to do something, it's difficult, it's hard, it's virtually impossible. And all of a sudden, this, e this easy out shows up. And God does that to test men's hearts. He said, bring those swords because I want to prove to the world I could have fought. I could have fought. In fact, that's where the mentality of his disciples were. When they saw what was going on, they drew the sword. They even asked, uh, is it time for us to draw our swords now? And he said, put your sword up. You see, it was, the, it was God who put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. You see, the way I think of God is that God would love me so much that he would have put it way out in the corner and he would have put the flaming sword with the cherub so I would have never gotten it. But he says, look, I want, you, I, I want you to take care of this garden. I want you to do everything I commanded you to do. And he only had one commandment other than to tend the garden, and that was not to eat from this tree. But guess where he put it? He put it in the middle. So every day that Adam got up, that tree was in sight. That tree was in sight. I don't know why God does this. I, don't, I, I struggle with this as a father because I wouldn't want the tree in the midst. But God said, I put it there. Jesus said, take the swords. Because what we go through and what we deal with, we look at death. And the flesh says, well, I'll give you life if you just, just flee and escape what God called you to do. But Jesus said, I must fulfill the scripture. And that scripture was that he poured all out his life like a drink offering. Because the scriptures tell us, and I'm going to talk about faith tonight because it's time that we recover faith. The church has lost faith. And faith has become a dirty word 
the, well, I'm going to get into it later, but the, there was a movement 20, 40 years ago that came and almost wrecked, it did, it wrecked the faith of the church. It turned it into something that faith never was. And we've got to recover it. And we've got to get back to faith because it says the just shall live by faith. Amen. And when we preach faith, there's almost a fear of, I don't want to sound like a faith preacher. I don't want to sound like, you know, uh, name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. All those terms that came around 20, 40 years ago. So what happened was the enemy, I believe the enemy sets up and perverts movements of God so they never happen again. And that the church gets as far away from them as ever. Do you know why churches say, well, we don't allow speaking in tongues in our church because we can't tell which is the real thing. Seriously? They got rid of it all because the enemy sowed tares. Well, the church, because of faith, because the enemy sowed tares of faith in the charismatic movement, the church says, we just do away with faith. We just go to biblical. We just, just the Bible. We don't need a spirit because, hey, if you follow the spirit, you go off in left field, you know. And so now we just have the word of God. And I believe the Lord is calling us to recover faith back in the church and live a life that's justified because the just shall live by faith. And so we're going to look at it tonight. In fact, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38 tells us exactly that. It says, now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Uh, the King Jimmy version says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if anybody draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. The Lord, I mean, do we really want to be faith people? Do we really want to say, I want to live by faith? I want to be numbered among the men in that chapter of faith in Hebrews. I want to have that testimony. The Lord will set it up and watch to see if we draw back to see if we pull the swords option. So my message tonight is, got swords. So, if we draw back, it exposes that we don't really have the love for God because a walk of faith is a hard, difficult walk. We just served communion and that bread is dry. Eric explained that there, there's really nothing uh, desirable about it. it. Look, we don't eat it at my table when we eat in a good meal, right? But the church has so rejected that message that they might as well, when they do the Lord's Supper, you know those big chocolate chip chunk cookies? Yes. That's what they need to use in their Lord's Supper. That's the truth. Because they'll hand it out and they'll say, God is so sweet. What he's done for us is so good. And then instead of the wine, you got to follow it up with a big glass of milk because there is nothing that goes as good with cookies as a big glass of milk, right? The church has rejected the life that represents Christ, which is to suffer with him and to walk by faith. It has rejected faith all together and only talks about the sweet things that Jesus did and the sweet things they're going to do in the by and by. To live out God's plan, it takes great faith. 
In fact, the scripture says it's the fight we fight. Amen. We fight the good fight of faith because it's a hard fight. Can you imagine that the scriptures are telling us to live by faith is like a fight? You ever got hit in the jaw? You ever got knocked down? You ever got whooped real good? It's a fight of faith. Faith is just not a statement, and you, re you receive your pedigree, and now I believe that Jesus is. Well, the Lord says, I'm going to call you to faith, and I'm going to give you an easy out every time. And we're going to see if you can ignore that reject it. You have to reject the easy out every time. Who's going to Mexico tomorrow? Don't y'all know that it's dangerous? Don't you know it takes faith to go? It takes faith to go. Why? Because it's part of that bread. It's part of, I will put my life at risk to do the works of faith. Guess what? No other churches are going anymore. You know why? Because they ain't faith churches anymore. They don't have the faith to lay down their life for the Lord and give their life for the Lord. They pull the sword option so quick. Oh, cartel, oh, pull the sword out. We're done. We're out. It's too dangerous. We can't take our children in there. You know why? Because it would look foolish. You know, the church has become so wise that when it comes across the path of the Lord, it looks and says, that's not it, and keeps on walking. Jesus said, I thank you, Lord, that you hidden these things from the wise and you showed them to babes children who would believe so the wise man goes throughout we become so wise as an american church so full of scripture that when we see the will of god the first thing we say is that's foolish that's foolish i can't go that we lost faith in the american church because the path of the lord it is dangerous it is dangerous it's risky it could cost you everything and we are so programmed now that when we tell people, I'm going to Peru, we went to India, we go to Mexico, been held at gunpoint by the cartel, it doesn't compute. They can't fathom that that's even God. In fact, they are quick to tell us it's not God. It's not God. God wouldn't call you to do that. It's the same God that put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden to test to see what was in Adam's heart Amen. Amen. we're just too afraid to be faith people I mean seriously the scripture says without faith it is what impossible to please God now I know here we're not big on the pronunciation of Jehovah but the way I learned it was Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Ezer, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi. And I can't pronounce the other ones very well, so I'm going to use that one tonight. <clears throat> Do you really want him to be your deliverer? You know what that means? You need something to be delivered from. Right? Do you really want him to be your provider? That means he's going to put you in a position you can't provide for yourself. Do you really want to go there? Yes, yes. To go there and to say, if God doesn't show up, I'm done. Do you, what about the Lord is my healer? Do you really want to face down sickness? Do you really want to go there? 
See, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about faith tonight. I'm talking, we say, oh, we're great men of faith. And as soon as something happens, you know, you lose a job. The first time somebody tells you, I got a better job for you. He might not. He might string me out to where we are eating our last cracker at the house. And I got some opportunity to do something that may not be real kosher, but I can make a little money doing it. You know, the sword option. Provide for myself. And so I've been asking myself for weeks, do I really want to live by faith? Do I really want to live that cost? I mean, go through Hebrews and see who made the list of faith. You know, do we really want him to be our healer? Do we really want him to be our provider? Or will we want to be so blessed that we just taken care of? Do we really want him to be our deliverer? And our helper. Look at, uh, go to Genesis chapter 20. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 10. Because I want to look at Abraham. Abraham has the title, the father of faith, right? Man, when we talk about faith, the first one you ought to think about is Abraham. Amen. God appeared to Abraham, gave him a commandment, and Abraham just went right on off and did it. He just packed up and left. And the Lord had spoke to me and Teresa's heart many years ago, and the same word was, uh, I want you to take all your possessions and I want you to leave from your father's house. We had been in Teresa's dad's church for 10 years, and there was protection there. It was safe. Uh, and the Lord said, I just want you to abandon that, and I want you to go out. And uh, we were really afraid to go out because when I heard it, I said, man, that sounds just like what he told Abraham. So I, so I got to where Abraham was called to go out. And immediately after Abraham steps out, he leaves the land of Ur, and he goes and it says, now there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. I'm like, really, God? He steps out in faith, and he winds up first step, famine. And not a little famine, a major famine. <clears throat> I bet you his family back home saying, told you that wasn't God. Yeah. <laughs> told you that wasn't God because if it was God, then you wouldn't have wound up in a famine. You just picked a bad time to leave. Yeah. We all knew Abraham he was kind of crazy in the head anyway. And I'm thinking, really, God? He steps, his first step of faith is right into a famine. <laughs> and the Lord said, but he didn't go back. Yeah, he wound up in Egypt. He really didn't know where he was going. But he didn't go back. I bet you the servant said, why don't we just go back? Why don't we just go back? Why don't we pull our sword option? Because this life of faith mm, didn't work out very well on the first step. And I'm thinking, really, God? And the Lord said, what if Egypt's in your promised land? What if you have to go through Egypt to get to the promised land? Are you willing to go through Egypt to get to the promised land? I said, Lord, I'll die trying. Amen. I will die trying to live a life of faith. Amen. Might, that might be required of some of us, to die living a life, not shrinking back, not loving their life, even unto death. That's what, that's Revelation saints. Amen. <laughs> Come on now. Amen. Right. 
Let's go to Nehemiah because we're going to look at we're going to look at men of faith, and when you look at their life, you're going to say they are foolish. Faith is foolish to the wise man. He crosses that path many times looking for it over and over and over. Well, if I could just believe there was a God, that's why they're atheists. They're too wise. When they look at truth and wisdom, and it, it, they don't recognize it. They don't recognize it. When they look at this little assembly, well, those people are crazy. No, we've got faith. Amen. We've, we've got faith. Nehemiah is building the wall. He's being commissioned by God to go back and rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And he's determined to do it. And I just love this part of the story. In Nehemiah, starting in uh, chapter 6 and verse 10, it says, One day, now look, this is Old Testament, uh, Older Testament, and I'm going to butcher a few names real quick, okay? So we'll get through this. One day... I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahitabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. And if he didn't think he heard him, he said, by night they are coming to kill you. Men are coming to kill you. So look, hey, the wall is really important. You need to go and hide in the temple. But I said, should a man like me run away? I'm thinking, man, that, what's he talking about, a man like me? I want to be, be able to say that. Should a man like me be afraid? Well, what's he talking about? He's got a whole nation looking at him, and he's a man of faith, and he says, and I'm a running coward? What will happen to these people if their leader just runs and cowers and hides because of his life? You know what he's saying? My life don't mean nothing. It's about the work. It's about what God called me to do. And a man like me run away? Or should one like me go into the temple to save his life for real? But that's what the world would say. That's what the American church would say. Right? It's just foolishness. God wouldn't want you to go out there and, and die. God wouldn't want you to give away what you don't have. That's not God. They don't even recognize God anymore. They basically would say, God wouldn't put the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden. They don't know him anymore. And when they come to the faith, the only walk in which you're justified, they can't find it. They can become scholars of the word, but when it comes to walking in faith, they pass right by it because it just is too risky. I mean, seriously, if you fail, you look like a fool. Well, sometimes you look like a fool when you succeed on it. He says, let's go to the next scripture. Uh, let's go to 12. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because of Tobiah and Sambalot had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. He'd have been committing a sin for running and hiding, for backing up, pulling the sword option. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. 
Wow. I mean, they set him up. They said, look, you're going to die. Go hide in the temple. But Nehemiah said, I'm not that type of man. Amen. I'm not that type of man to go run and hide. It'd be sin for me to go run and hide. It'd be sin for me to draw back at all. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat? Oh my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who had been trying to intimidate me. Watch what it says right here, because this is where I'm going tonight. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. What's the next scripture say? When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen. Amen. Because you see, we've got missionaries with broken down vehicles. We've got an orphanage that needs finishing. We've got churches that need to be built. we got so much, we can't do it. We can't do it all, but God can. Amen. In fact, he's, the enemy will come and say, why don't you have the money first before you start a project? Yes. Why don't you make sure you got enough to finish it? Doesn't the scripture say the man who set out to build his house was found a fool because he couldn't finish it? <laughs> but when they hear what is done with just 100 people, that we've gone to 23 nations, 24, I don't even know how many it's been, and we're building orphanages, and our budget uh, Joel Osteen probably loses more money in the crevices of their books than we, we make here. That's it. That's right. <laughs> it might inspire some churches and begin to look and say, wow, we wouldn't start a project like that unless we had 20% overage in case the project went over. <laughs> Lord wants to use this little congregation to do great and mighty things that the enemy's heart, it, it, it's going to go out and people will hear, you did what? Amen. Your little church did what? Well, we can't do that. We just spent 12 grand on the steeple. We just repaved the parking lot. It cost us, you know, 250000 Maybe when we finish our building project, we can do something like that. The Lord, we, the Lord has called us to a walk of faith. And look, we have to walk it even though the, no other church will walk it. We have to walk it. We have to be that testimony to walk it. But the enemy will continue to say, yeah, but there's an easier option. It's the sword option. Just pull your swords and fight for yourself. Jesus said, that scripture must be fulfilled. Which one? To be poured out as a drink offering. I mean, do we really want to be poured out as a drink offering? I told you it didn't have anything to do whether you should bear swords or not. This word began to be circulate around our house because Ella came to live with us. We heard from the Lord. She heard from the Lord, and boy, everything was lining up. She came, and within just a couple weeks, she got a job. 
but then the report changed. They said, uh, Miss Ella, you, you, um, you're not certified, and I don't think we're going to get your paperwork done in time. We might, you might be able to substitute. And she didn't come here to substitute. And almost immediately, a, a school in Louisiana that knew her said, well, we got the perfect job for you. We got the perfect job for you. You're familiar with the school. You student taught here. You know how it goes. Here's that struggle. There's a hard road. It wasn't even what I was planning on it being. Is this, is, is this God? Did he provide this for me? Because the, then there's that question. Which way do I go? Which way do I go? And so several of us knew we had heard from God and just had to remind her, stay the course. Amen. If you, even if you have to substitute teach, stay the course. If you want to draw your sword at any time, God put that job there to test her heart. Put it right there, and it looked good. It was a good job. It looked a whole lot better than substituting. And as soon as she rejected it, they got her paperwork done. Ella, Ella's now a sixth grade math teacher. But only after he test, tested her heart. Anytime God calls you to do something, he puts something right in there that'll justify you. I mean, his calling comes at the worst time. You just bought two ox. And the invitation comes. I just got married. I just bought some investment properties. It's, it's just bad timing. Can you have me excused? Yeah. You're excused. They didn't make it. They were excused. They went away justified. And what their excuses was, their excuses justified them. But it doesn't mean they made it to the uh, banquet, did they? They didn't make it. But they went away justified. Pulling those swords will justify you. And look, Peter was quick. I mean, can you imagine Peter? <laughs> I bet you Peter's like, now, Lord? Now? Can I, can I pull it now? Pull it! That's, he just had that, that draw. That is, yeah! The Lord said, put it away, Peter. You already hurt one person. Yeah. If, we, if you draw the sword, Peter, and we fight, we're all dead, is basically what he was saying. Yeah. If you draw the sword, we're all going to die by it. Because <laughs> you see, there is a way that seems right. Looks right. It, you calculate it, all lines up. It's got to be right. But the Lord said it leads to death. And so, the wise man who knows all his scriptures, and I believe he loves God, he comes across the path of faith, looks at it, and it, and it doesn't appear to lead to his God. It seems to lead to some crazy church where they do crazy things. And so he would just read it, rather settle down in a normal church where they don't you know just status quo we're not faith people here we just love the Lord and we all come together and we read the word and they're dead it leads to death 
It seems right. Everything about it looks right. But it's not. And I have to be honest with you. I'm going to finish up here. It's 850. I wanted to pull my sword option uh, with the home birth. You can ask Jen Stevens. I even had a conversation where I said, Jen, <clears throat> Lord told us this one was going to be difficult, and I don't want to go through it. Remember that? I'm too old for this. And uh, Teresa says we qualify for some state program, and they're, they'll take care of it all. I've got ministry going on. We've got so much going on. It's okay to pull the sword. God knows that I just, I just don't have time to prepare for this. And so there was not a thing in my heart for a home birth. None. Zero. I didn't want to walk the walk of faith. Because I've been down that road before. And it's not easy to stare the enemy in the face and wait for God's deliverance. It's just not. And I didn't want to do it. There was nothing in me that wanted to do it. So Teresa applied for the first program. It turned us down. I don't have medical insurance. So she applied for another one. She's like, oh, for surely they're going to accept us. Everybody gets accepted. Well, not us. They didn't accept us. And so I said... <laughs> I'm backed into a corner here. This is my Garden of Gethsemane moment. I'm sweating tears of blood. I said, I just got to hear from you, God. I got to hear from you. I can't go through this on my previous experiences. I got to hear from you. Teresa's mom had already came. And Teresa thought we was going to have Luke. I don't know, a month early, two weeks early, whatever it is. So Teresa's mom showed up way early. And so here I am going through a personal struggle. And I said, I've got to hear from you, God. And the Lord said, I'll be with you. Just like I was with Jehoshaphat, I'll be with you. And he told me something else. He said, and you're going to go to Peru. <laughs> he threw that one in there just as extra. So we were a little... I, I, but I was like, oh, man. I felt I was backed into the corner. Two days later, we get a letter. Teresa opens up. She says, oh, we got approved. I had already heard from God. Yeah. Mother-in-law is in the living room. Teresa's there with the letter. I don't want... And I knew... This one was going to be difficult. I knew it. So this, Teresa's mom was like, well, y'all could just go to the hospital. You know, we just, we don't have to have a home birth. I said, I know two things. God said we're having this child at home, and I'm going to Peru. <laughs> there was nothing in me, though. At that point, I just said, I'm just not that kind of man to back down. Amen. I'm not going to go run and hide in the temple because I'm just not that type of man. Amen. I'm going to live by faith or I'm going to die Amen. trying. Amen. 
But I'm going to be honest with you. This, is, this home birth, I had the most confidence and the most fear the whole time. Because I'm waiting for the difficulty. Because I know it's coming. I know it's coming. I know it's going to be tried. I know it's going to be tried. And you know, you think that that sword would have just got lost, but it was there the whole time. I mean, we're in the heat of the battle and someone says, do you want me to make the call? I'm glad that I had people of faith there because Ella came in, it's getting, it's getting, it's hard right now. Y'all need to pray. And they're talking about calling. What do you want to do? Eric said, just do what Brent says and don't do anything else. And they came back in. I said, we're not calling. We're here. We're doing this. But that sword was right there the whole time. And I'm going to tell you, I was shaken before the Lord. But I knew I had heard from him. Amen. I knew. But you know what? I just hate being tested to, did I hear from him? Mm-hmm. When things start getting hard, you start questioning, what did I hear? Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a blessing that we got this insurance at the last minute. That struggle? I got to a point where I put my head down and said, God, I am there. I got nothing left. I know it was harder on Teresa physically, but it was hard on me because uh, Luke was wrapped high. Teresa started bleeding before the delivery, before he even began to make the approach. And I said, here we go. I know it's going to be tough. It was the most Mm, pressure but such sweet release when he came out and he took his first <laughs> breath so the fir- I came out I was in the middle of cleaning my hands and Eric said I said I know two things <laughs> I want to show you real quick Jehoshaphat we're going to go to Second Chronicles, and I'm going to close right here. Because this is important, because people ask how we did. I don't really wish home births on anybody. <laughs> the older I got, the less desirable I did. But something would kick in me that says, I'm just not that type of man to back down. I would have preferred not to hurt and pull the sword option, but the way, you know, the Lord says, it seems right, but that way leads to death. See, I like to say uh, he's my deliverer. But you have to be in such a bind that if he doesn't show up, you can't deliver yourself if he doesn't show up. And and people will so avoid those situations because what if he doesn't show up? That's the question in your mind. Will he show up? Do we trust the word of the Lord? Let's look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And if y'all get tired and I go too long, y'all just wave me down. We'll shut it down. After this, okay, let me give you a quick introduction. Okay, Jehoshaphat had won a lot of victories. He was very victorious. And we do. We, we, the Lord is very graceful for us, uh, towards us, and we win a lot of victories, but then there becomes this overwhelming thing that happens. Uh, 
It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Mennonites, <laughs> Muonites, came to make war on Jehoshaphat. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast, ar whoa, a vast army is coming against you from Edom. Three kingdoms gathered against him. From the other side of the sea, it is already in Haz Hazazon, Tamar. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord. This is step number one. Amen. When the report comes that you have cancer, you lost your job, you're not going to be able to make it. The step number one, you inquire of the Lord. That is the first thing you do. Because this is a plan of victory. That, look, there's some stories in the scriptures we don't study because they didn't lead to victory. But this, is, this one right here leads to victory. Amen. They inquired of the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast for all Jews. So they began to examine themselves, make sure, hey, you know, most of the times the enemies of Judah rose up is because they were in sin. He said, let us fast, make sure we're not in sin and that this is a retribution for sin. Let us fast. Let us, you know, look at our lives. Let's make sure we, if we need to repent, let's repent before the Lord. It says, the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. How many, look, I want you to look at the person next to you. I want you to think about our little children here that come sit up here. This is not a video game. These nations were coming to rape, pillage, and destroy them. They wanted to kill all your children, your little girls. And what they would do, they would kill them in front of you. They were going to show no mercy. This is not some little uh, story that we read and there was no feelings involved. They were going to get crushed by the enemy. They were going to see their wives taken away into captivity. The men were going to get slain. They were going to lose their firstborns, their children. This was a decimating word to all of them. It's the worst thing they could have heard. They're looking at, I mean, it's hard to send them to their first day of school, right? Very emotional. What if you know that men are coming and they're going to cut his head off, they cut her head off and just destroy your children? It will cause you to seek the Lord. And we think, wow, but God, yeah, but you know, the Lord, He wouldn't let that happen. I want you to watch and see what God requires of them. It says, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah. He's got them all there at Jerusalem, in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And said, he begins to pray and cry out. He says, oh, Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. See, he starts to remind himself of what God can do. Absolutely. He begins to remind himself and God. Let's go to verse 8. They have lived in it and have built in a sanctuary for your name. Okay, he's saying, we built you a temple. And, and we haven't done like 
uh, Israel of the North. We, we've worshipped here at the temple where you put your name. We've been true to you. We haven't backslidden. Verse 9, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and you will save us. Now he's, he's making proclamation from what he knows of God. And it's a great proclamation, but it doesn't substitute hearing. Because I could remind myself that God was with us with all our previous home births. He was. That wouldn't have gotten me through this last one. It wouldn't have been. In fact, uh, Hophni and Phineas, they like to follow patterns. Oh, we're losing a war. That's because God's not with it. Let's go get the ark. At what, at, never crossed their mind. Maybe we should repent, fast, seek the Lord, find out what's going on. Let's just go get the ark. Because God is our God and he's going to save us and we're going to go put him out and fight our battles. You ever hear people say that? Oh, God fights my battles. Does he? Does He does. But what happens when you don't hear that he's going to fight your battle? And you just pull a, a trick like uh, Eli's sons did. They lost the ark. God wasn't in that. But it had worked times before. Let's go to the next one. It says, But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. He's saying, you know, really they're there and they've grown because we couldn't do nothing about them. If we could, we'd have killed them all, God, but, you know, kind of a little responsible because we couldn't. Ultimately, they were responsible because of the deal that they made. But it says, see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance? I believe he's true. What he's thinking to himself is, surely God is going to justify us. We've been serving him. We've been uh, true to him. We did. The only reason that exists is because we weren't allowed to deal with it. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. They have no power. They knew what the situation was. They weren't kidding themselves. They knew we've got, you know, 20,000 men and 350,000 show up at their doorstep. Vast army. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Step number two. Yeah, you don't know what to do. We get your eyes fixed on the Lord. Next verse. All the men of Judah... And this is why I said, with their wives, with their little children, with their little ones. I mean, the, they came before the Lord and stood there before the Lord. They're presenting themselves. We're dead if you don't show up. And so we're like, oh, that's great. Would you have liked to have been in that number? How about you take you, you want to be a man of faith? Why don't you take your kids in there? And we'll see if God shows up or not. Same thing when you take your kids into Mecca. It's one thing going in yourself. 
you take little young children that you're still completely responsible with making the decisions in their lives, it seems completely and utterly irresponsible. It is. The faith walk is utterly, it's just utterly irresponsible. It says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. Now God's going to speak. Next verse. He said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Next verse. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the path. He tells them exactly where they're at. And you will find them at the end of the gorge. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position. Stand firm and see the deliverance. The Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. He tells them, I want you to go face them. It would, I mean, it makes no sense whatsoever. They can't fight. But he says, I want you to go face it. I want you to get in your enemy's face. I want you to stare them down. I want you to see this vast army. You only heard about it. I want you to see it. I want you to go stand in a place where if I don't show up, there's no deliverance for you whatsoever. Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground. I think he was saying, oh God, okay, we'll go. But it would be nice if you could just destroy them and we never see them and we never have. I mean, don't let me see those test results. Don't give me a bad word that is, it's not looking good. Just tell me I could take two aspirins and it's gone. Just tell me that God's going to give me a better job. Don't tell me to go face the enemy down. It says, and then all Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Instead of fighting, they're going to worship. When they're in the need, first of all, you got to look at what happened. They heard the report. They sought the Lord and they examined themselves. And then they begin to worship. Next verse. Then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, and with a very loud verse, voice, they begin to worship. They begin to, look, when your back's up against a wall, you are worshiping, it's a whole nother level of worship. It's a worship, but it's such a cry out to God when you say, Lord, you can save me from my enemy. Sometimes we can read those words up on the projector and they just words, but sometimes we are living them and we're just singing them completely different. It says, early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord, your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. You have to hear from God. And young men, I want to give you a tip. It'll save you a lot of heartache and a lot of years. When you're first starting out in the Lord, when you hear, go tell a pastor, I believe this is what the Lord is calling me to do. Because the enemy, knowing that you are 
very zealous, will run you around years and years and years and years, keep stuff in darkness. Oh, I can't tell nobody what the Lord showed me. That's a trap for young men. You think you hear from the Lord, bring it before a pastor and say, I believe the Lord's asking me and showing me to do this, but I haven't discerned his voice correctly. Can you help me with it? And they'll say, it's not God. Because sometimes the enemy will search our hearts and find something good that we want to do and just wear us out. So there's prophets here that brought, it's not just somebody from the congregation stood up. These are the prophets. And he said, we got to trust the word from the prophets. It says, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord. See, it's all about praise and worship at this point. And listen what they worshipped him for. They praised him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Next verse. And they began to sing and praise. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and uh, Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. The three kingdoms turned on themselves and began to fight during the praise and worship of the Lord. If they would have showed up and said, hey, this is a great army, but if we strike first, I think we got a chance. God's with us. We'll bring the ark. Surely he's with us. we got to strike first. If they'd have drawn their swords, it all died. The Lord says, I want you to go. I want you to make yourself vulnerable before, before the enemy. That's what faith is, to say, here I am, enemy. I'm going to stand in front of you, but I'm not going to quake or shake. I'm going to worship. And so tonight, if you're struggling, if you're in the midst of the fight of faith, the best thing you can do tonight is just worship in front of Him. Amen. Worship your God in the front of your enemy. Amen. Knowing you don't have to pull your own sword. You just pray and you wait for the deliverance of God. So if you could just play. We'll, I know it's late. It's... um. But look, some people are fighting some battles right now, and they don't care that it's 9-12. Some of us, we care. We got school in the morning, and we got some stuff going on. But there's some who are fighting for their life. And I just want to give them an opportunity to worship in the face of the enemy. Amen? Amen. Amen.